America's founding fathers believed their vision, the city upon a hill, could only succeed with a special people in a special place. Over 240 years later, we the people, our American story is still unfolding. My name is Tina McCafferty. Join me every Friday as I spotlight those who embody the American values of faith, courage, and heroism. You will be uplifted, inspired, proud, and humbled to call yourself an American. American history is more than history. It's personal. I've been a servant to my community and to my country for so long that the, the idea of, of not, if I could help one person, if I could save one person, that's what it's about. As a side note, before Carmelo's episode begins, know there are times you will hear a clatter or a rattle. This is Carmelo's child he lovingly calls his little munchkin. These stories are about life, and nothing is more life-giving than the sounds of a small child. Episode 29, Carmelo's American Story. Welcome, podcast friends, to another episode of We the People, Our American Story. My guest today is Carmelo Rodriguez. Carmelo, hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am good. I am really honored that you are here today, and you have quite an intriguing story. There's a lot to unpack there, and we only have so much time. Let's get started, and I think that we should start at the beginning. Can you share with us a little bit about how life was for you growing up? I am a New York City native. Um, I spent the majority of my you know, younger years in New York City. From there, I traveled back and forth from New York City to Pennsylvania. And then I decided to join the military when I was about uh, 18, 18 or 19 years old due to the uh, poverty levels and what was going on in my community. I felt like that was the only way out for me. I read that you experienced homelessness and that going hungry was something that you experienced on several occasions as a child. Yes. Like I said, I went through a phase of, you know, severe poverty and um, that really made me understand what it's like to actually fight for every meal, for every well-rested night of sleep. You know, it made me appreciate the small things, you know, like fresh water or a warm meal. Actually, I had no idea. I, I didn't have any clue about the military. Nothing. I knew that it was a way out. Mm. Uh, some people, they said that they, you know, see the commercials. Some people go through the flyers. I think I was walking through the mall and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. This was a way out for me. There was no other option at this point. And I was already living in the lowest points of my life. When you say a way out, do you mean a way out of hunger, a way to see the world, a way to get educated? How were you viewing it? This was a way out of uh, the situations that I was living. This was the way out of not being hungry every day. This was the way out of not bouncing around from place to place just to have a place to sleep. This was survival for me. Were you apprehensive about joining? No. You were no. gung-ho, here I am. It was so easy for me. I mean, I was a recruiter's dream because I went in there <laughs> and I said, hey, um, I want in. 
And they were like, okay, well, you got to take this test. Cool. And then they were like, what do you want to do? And I was like, whatever gets me out right now. Uh, we have this. And I was like, great. Do you know what it is? No. <laughs> you know what you're going to do? No. Why do you want to do this? Because I want to leave right now. Very easy for me. There was no this war or shooting or the idea of combat. It didn't even cross my mind because I didn't even care. I was living that for the majority of my life growing up. So this was just another day. So how soon after that day then did you leave for basic training? I think the whole process from beginning to end, if I was to say a month, I'd be exaggerating. That's quick. Yeah, I think it was between like two or three weeks. So I signed up and I was like, what's the next step? And they were like, you got to wait some time. And I was like, no, I want to go now. And it was just a, a push, push, push. And they were like, where are you staying? I'm like, I'm staying on a buddy's couch. So what are we doing? Where was basic training? It was in uh, Fort Knox, Kentucky. Okay. You wake up the first morning. Do you still feel like this is the right decision? Yeah. It, it wasn't that bad for me. I mean, waking up early in the morning, it was a little bit of discipline. I'm not going to lie. The exercises, that was new to me. But I had free food. You know, I had a place to sleep. It was peaceful. While everybody else had their own experience, I was just, you know, I was finally, I, I felt safe, finally, which is weird, right? That was the first time in 19 years that you really felt safe? That I felt like everything was going to be okay. Wow. <laughs> this says a lot about your childhood. That makes me sad. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the way it is, though, you know? Tell me a little bit about your military service. What was that like? Where did you go? What did you do? After Fort Knox, they stationed me. Initially, they stationed me to Korea. And I was like, all right, party city. And then they said, no, um, there's a deployment coming up, so you're going to Fort Drum. I had no idea what that was. I was like, all right, I don't know what that means. Cool. And then you're going back to New York. And I was like, all right, cool, whatever. I did not know that I was going to border of Canada with eight feet of snow on a regular. <laughs> And I would be running in the shortest shorts that you could possibly wear as a man. In the winter? In the winter, because there was a thing called uh, weatherizing. Okay. No, that's not fun. That's, that's not fun. That, that's actually where I met uh, Shiloh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we went through the whole phase. And then from there, I want to say nine or ten months later, we were off to uh, our first deployment. Which was where? Uh, to Iraq. And that is a different world, a different planet almost. What were your first impressions when you got there? And I have a question. And I keep forgetting to ask all of you this. So I, now that I've remembered, I'm going to ask. When you came in, did you have to do the circling thing that they say the planes do? Yes. Yes. And it, it does. It makes your stomach turn a bit, especially with the, uh, you're going in with, with some vets that, that's already, you know, been there, done that once or twice. So now they're just, they're talking it up. Are you ready? You ready? Yeah. So you're, you're literally going in with a rush, with the adrenaline already there. And then um, we touched down and it was just, you know, everybody was ready for something, but, you know, it was, it was a bit more calming. When did you really look out and see that you were in a 
truly foreign place. Did it hit you right that, away? No, I thought it was fun because I was like, wow, this is a bit different. It was hot. That's the only thing that really bothered me at the time. It was just really, really hot. I don't think it, anything really hit me until our first gunfight, when things actually mattered. That's when the realization really hit, like, wow, you know, this is happening. This is real. All of the training goes right into play. What was your role there? Initially, I was a dismount. I was a Cav Scout, 19 Delta. It's all dismount. It's all basically infantrymen for the most part because they did not give us any Bradleys, any, uh, any strikers. We were just in, in Humvees. Yeah, everything was all dismount work. Find the bad guys, get them. That's it. I was doing that for, I want to say like two or three months until uh, we had a, uh, a mislapse. One of, our, one of our soldiers' battle got the best of them. And now I was up to bat. So now I was the, uh, I was the gunner for the vehicle for the remainder of the deployment. That's a lot of power you have there in front of you, right? I was the one car. I, w- I was the man, you know? So you actually had to use that on several occasions? Oh, yeah, almost every day. What's that like firing that thing? Uh, you don't think about it. I mean, you have a mission. Your mission's in front of you, and, and nothing's going to stop you to get it done. And that's just it. Were you scared or apprehensive on a daily basis? See, that face I, you're making, I get that from all of them, where it's just, you know, you just learn to live with it. Yeah, I don't know if I actually caught myself in a moment that I was like, wow, I'm scared. I think maybe I caught myself in a moment that I was like, I need to calm down. And it was just a moment that the adrenaline was at its all-time high, and it was just like, breathe, let's go. And that was just it. Did you have any close calls? Or were you ever injured? I was injured. Um, I was medically discharged from the military. Oh, I did um, not know that. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I was medically discharged from the military when I volunteered for my second deployment. You know, over time, you know, the battlefield gets the best of you. That's just that's the way it is. Where was your second deployment? I wouldn't even call it a deployment because um, once they figured out how severe my medical condition was, they sent me home. I I had a bunch of holes in my lungs from my previous deployment. Yeah. Um, How did that happen? A couple of uh, IED explosions will, will get you right. You were right there when they exploded. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our truck, you know, we, we've had a fair share of trucks that went down. Luckily, nobody was uh, fatally wounded. But, you know, over time... You know, I, I, I wasn't getting the treatment that I needed. And then I volunteered for uh, second deployment. And when I started going through the process, when I got to a country or whatever, they said, no, they said, you're going home. So I would not call that a deployment because that was the end of my career. So luckily for you, then you were not close to anyone who lost their life there. In Afghanistan, no. Okay. But afterwards, yes. 
What do you mean? Well, I mean, in any way, with rather through the battle or through not, you know, not being able to handle what had happened. So um, once I... That's very real, right? That's a very real thing. And Shiloh talks about that too. And Shiloh, by the time that um, this episode will come out, Shiloh will, his episode will have aired and everybody will know who he is. He is great because he talked about all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So while I was in country, while I was in Iraq, I definitely had some, some friends that passed uh, because of gunfire or IEDs or whatever it was. When I got back home is when I felt my guys from my first deployment uh, suffered the most. A lot of them, a lot of them went to uh, drugs and alcohol. Substance abuse was heavy. Divorce was, was at his all-time high, just complete recklessness. A few of my buddies overdosed, and it was just a, a weird place to be, to watch, you know, the people that, that you were calling brothers are now are not going down one by one, and you're just like, holy crap, am I next? Like, what happened to them? You know, what path am I taking that's different from the path that they're on right now? It was a real thing for a minute. I went through a divorce during that time too. So I was like, crap, this is happening. I was in a scholarship for Penn State University and that wasn't fulfilling at all. So I gave that up. I transferred to uh, another university. And I feel like between going to that university, which was highly recommended by military veterans and just going to like little counseling sessions with other veterans that was going through whatever situations, you know, it it definitely helped me get to the place that I needed to be as far as, you know, mentally and physically. Do you think that mental anguish comes, gosh, there's so many reasons that it can come. I'm wondering if you feel a lot of it is PTSD, if a lot of it is you're not in that really structured you know that really structured circumstance and you don't know what to do is it because you feel like you've let people down and there's just been so much time between living a a normal life and a military life what is it that weighs so many of you down as a combat soldier I can say this you get hooked on the adrenaline Mm. and you get so caught up in the idea that I'm so badass. At this point, at my deployment, where things are happening, where I am, I'm the man. I am G.I. Joe. I am Rambo. (laughs) I am it. I got the muscles. I'm shooting the guns. I'm getting the bad guys. I'm doing it. I am the man. And you have this super ego, and that's just it. And then you leave, and you're like, that's it. Now you just That's have it. to pay the mortgage, right? Now, now you're just dad. And nobody understands that. Nobody can understand that except for the person that you was out there with or the person that you were doing that with. And sometimes for some people, that's a, the highest points in their life and everything else is just down until you find that next high. And some people go to drugs to find a hit. 
Some people go to alcohol. Some people go to pure adrenaline, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, yeah, you just got to figure out your path. That's kind of what it comes down to. I am so happy that you spent a few minutes talking about that because I think it's really important and that, I mean, I'm not inside that box, but I can see how we are not taking care of our veterans the way that we should. Uh, Physical, it's easy to see if someone's missing a leg, right? Mm -hmm. But to see inside someone's head and the problems that are going on there, the injuries, that's a little bit more difficult. And I don't, I'm not sure if we're handling it as well as we should or could. Yeah. I mean, I, I spoke on a few podcasts before the transitioning coming out should be a bit, a bit different all the way until the day that you leave the military, you are a soldier. Now, if they would, five months prior, six months prior, whatever, whatever it is, you start transitioning that soldier into a civilian. You're no longer wearing uniform. Now you're wearing clothes. They're no longer supplying food for you. Now you have to buy it. You no longer get free, free place to stay. You know, now you're on a discounted rate. Now you're doing this. Now you're doing that. Now you're dealing with, you know, real life situations that you got to deal with back home. Now you go into actual family therapy, couple therapy, whatever it is to to level you out, to get you where you need to be. If these kind of programs were out six months, eight months before you got out and you start making that huge transition to become a civilian again, it might make a difference. Because of the way that you grew up and what you experienced, when you came out, were you terrified that you were going to be back to that point? Or did you feel secure in yourself? I think at one point, when I initially got out, it was a a depressing time for me because I'm coming from doing what I was doing in a leadership position. And now I'm in the dorms in Penn State with a bunch of 18-year-olds that's talking about war is bad and military is bad it's it's hard to swallow and then it just it got to the point that they started the students started complaining to security security ended up coming to the to the dorms and they were just like you're way too aggressive for this whole entire crowd and it was funny because the only one that actually got it and understood 100% was one of the security managers which was a, a Vietnam vet super old school but his stories were like it was yesterday no. were upset with you then because you were yeah i was uh pushing back I, I don't even know they said that i was too aggressive you know i was i was a very aggressive and i think at one point you know i like my stuff in order i like my stuff neat and um some of the i would say kids came into my room and, and kind of messed things up and i, I came in I ended up finding out and told them I'll beat the shit out of them if they ever come into my room again. And I'm like, I'm not your parents. I really put this work on you and uh, get the hell out of my face. And how old and were you? I, 24, okay, 20. You were a bit older than the rest of them then. Yeah. And you, you know, had seen stuff. And they're like, oh my God, you went to war. And I'm like, yeah, you've ever killed people? That's none of your damn business. 
Wow. You know, this is not story time. You know, go away. Can I yeah. laugh? Is that okay? <laughs> you have to find humor in this, right? I mean, you have to find some humor. Absolutely. I mean, it's a process. And, you know, I went through it. But I think after that, I went through real low, real low time. And it wasn't so much of the fact that I was scared that I was going back to where I initially started is the point that I didn't care. That's the point. Like I said, it, it took me a bit to get on my feet, but once I did with the, uh, the help of the, uh, and, and it's crazy because the majority of veterans that I got along with and I, and I reached out to for the most help were, were not my vets. They were much older vets. They were the ones been there, done that two times over talking with guys that are like, man, I've been divorced like four or five times. I don't, I, I refuse. Now I just got girlfriends. Oh, I got a couple of kids, been there, done that. You know, let, let, let's talk about it. So these are the kind of vets that I was getting the best advice from. They had hard realities. It was just a different time for them. And to watch me, a young one, just initially going through it, it was hard for them to accept because it was like, we could stop this. We could stop this right now. And I came out of the military like 185, just big dude, you know, pretty solid. By the time that I got to that point, I was maybe like 135 pounds. I really didn't care. I'd drink the day away. I just, you know, whatever. And then one of the guys, he was like, I'm pretty sure I could take you at this point. And I'm like, no. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I could take you. They got me into walking. They got me into running got me into going back into the gym until I reach out to them once in a while. Wow. You were lost. Yes. yes. Was talking to those people then what brought you out? It was a bunch of little things that really set into motion where I am today. You know, it wasn't so much of, oh, well, he guided me here or he got me to the next step or he got me to the next step. No, it was starting over like okay so I'm gonna do this one thing today and then from from today I'm gonna do one more thing tomorrow and then that's how I ended up taking my steps to you know eventually finding my path and figuring out what I'm gonna do when does dead soldier come into play how did <laughs> all that unwrap and what misery that must have been. <laughs> okay, so fast forward to after I get my bachelor's degree, um, I'm going to a master's program, which is great. You know, I got accepted for a master's degree and I'm like, wow, this is cool, cool, cool. Let's do it. And then I ended up getting employed by the uh, federal penitentiary. So I'm working in the federal penitentiary, doing all the stuff that I got to do. And uh, there was a riot that occurred. And usually when that happens, they shut down the whole prison. And until further notice, then you're coming out. Then everybody's coming out, you know, all the workers and whatever else. So it, it took a couple of days. I got out. Um, I checked my phone and got like a, a hundred calls, text messages, and so on and so forth. I'm like, what in the hell is this? So I start running through everything and it's like, oh, this can't be true. Please call me back. You know, all of this 
just crying like oh my god this is really happening and i'm like what the hell and this is all family and friends and i start calling them like hey what's up and they're like what's up what what's going on what happened and i'm like i don't know you tell me what's going on and like oh we got noticed that that you died and i'm like i'm talking to you i don't know what you're talking about and died in the riot no they were like oh we got a notice it was like in the mail letter stating that i passed away now because i've been working as hard as i have been and because of school i can honestly say that i pushed myself away from you know family and friends so i can focus more on you know what i had going on so i'm like no don't worry about me i'm good i'm just really really busy and then i started getting letters from from the va i got the first letter and they said to the estate of you know carmelo rodriguez we sympathize about the death and whatever and i was like ha funny whatever when did you supposedly die <laughs> october 31st 2016 so halloween i died on halloween and did it give <laughs> a reason for death or where or any of that no, 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 no. I, I died. So I got, I, I just died. How yeah. did you unscramble all this then? Did you find out where the error was? How long did it take? And how did you <laughs> get through it? So check it out. After I got that notification, I still thought it was a joke. So I kind of like brushed it off. And then I got a check in the mail for a burial allowance. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap. So I called the VA up and I'm like, hey, this is what's going on. And the lady was like, uh, we're going to have to call you back. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I was just on the phone for an hour waiting for you guys to answer. And now you're going to tell me you're going to call me back. And they were like, sorry, we got to call you back because I don't know what to do. And I'm like, oh, man, this is happening right now. So they eventually called me back and said, hey, you have to go down to the regional office so we can clear this up and uh, everything's gonna be good. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. Before I went to the regional office, I ended up getting two more notifications. One was that all of my benefits would be cut off. And the second one was a final uh, benefits check. So I'm like, oh my God, this is really a thing. This is really happening. Did you know? they have a death certificate? I would think that they would have had to have a death certificate in order to suspend all that. Nothing. So I'm like, okay, so I go down to the regional office and you know, I give the clerk my, all of my information and I give him the paperwork and then he was like, he was looking at the, the paperwork. He was looking at me. He was looking at the paper. He was like, you have more ID. He was like, no, no, no. Do you have more ID? And I'm like, what the hell? So I'm over here. I'm literally pulling everything out of my wallet. Like here, this is me. This is me. This is still me. This is me. DD214. Here it is. And then he was like, all right, I'm going to take all this. <laughs> and then the supervisor comes, comes around and is like, this is you. This is really happening. I'm like, yeah, man. And they're like, okay, well, you got <laughs> <laughs> you got to fill out this testimony stating, you know, what's going on and to clear up that this is really you. And then I'm like, all right, so that's cool. So how long will this take before everything is cleared up? Because I need my benefits. I take medicine daily for my lungs. So 
I don't want this to, to interfere with my any issue, anything that I have going on. And they're like, no, two weeks tops. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I think I had enough medication for the time to last me that long, maybe a little less. I'm going through it. And I'm like, all right, two weeks, come and go, nothing. And I'm like, okay. And then I get a notice from another agency to the estate of, and then another agency, and then another agency. And I'm like, oh my God, how is this really happening right now? And then I get, you're being investigated by the IRS uh, for fraud as a whole. And I'm like, wait, 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 what's happening right now? So now I get investigators calling me about why am I dead, but I'm not dead, but I am dead. Did you say good question? I'm trying to figure that out myself. Oh, it spiraled out of control to the point that every single agency that needed to know that I'm deceased knew that I was deceased. And it got to the point that even my bank accounts were closed. So uh, imagine I found this out on payday because I'm like, I'm going to go get something to eat. And I go to my buddy's store, decline. And I'm like, decline. Do it again. Decline. I'm like, let me just use the credit card. Decline. He's like, buddy, you don't have money. And I'm like, I just got paid today. I didn't lose my job. What's going on? You don't have money. So I called up the bank and they're like, you're what? I'm like, yeah, my bank accounts are closed. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And they're like, oh, we got notification that this is what's going on. You're going to have to come down to the regional office. Here we go again. So I go down, you know, take care of that. And I'm like, okay, so where's my money? You're telling me that my bank accounts are closed. I get a government check. Where's my money? And it took a while before they were able to fix that up, but they definitely did. I am just trying to understand all this because both of my parents have passed. I've had Mm -hmm. two sisters that have passed and we had to get copies upon copies upon copies of death certificates to bring to different places to get accounts closed and all that. And I'm trying to understand how this happens without a death certificate. If I knew, I would tell you, I promise. (laughs) Um, But this was a a spiraling, it was a whirlpool. It was completely nuts. I mean, I ended up reaching out to a bunch of attorneys because I'm like, hey, this is what's going on. I think I reached out to like, during that time frame, maybe like 50 attorneys during that time frame specifically. And everybody was like, oh my God, how is this happening? How is this even a thing? And I'm like, I just need help. And all of them were like, man, this is so crazy. Can't help you. Then it got to the point that it started interfering with uh, my child support. And then it started interfering with work. And that's when things really started getting bad because I did end up uh, talking to an attorney who could not help me, but gave me you know, solid advice. And he said, what is a law enforcement officer going to do, or you as a law enforcement officer, what would you do with an individual that you stop on the streets or you pull over that is deceased and has law enforcement credentials? What do you do? And I paused and then he was like, what would they do with you? Would you go to jail? 
would you go to the same jail that you're working in right now? Because you're impersonating a, a federal officer now. Holy crap. This is really happening. So now I'm reaching out to, to the job and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now they're pumping brakes on everything. They literally pump brakes on, you know, whatever I had going on with my career. And they were just like, we got to fix this. You know, there was that. And then I really hit a low because, like I said, school was, it was like therapy for me because that's where a lot of my, my veteran friends were at, a lot of my veteran buddies. Then I couldn't go to school because uh, none of my paperwork would go through. You know, and that's when the fraud alerts were constantly going up. And I had a mentor at the time. My mentor was like, hey, does the news know about this? And I'm like, no, I just want this fixed. My mentor was like, um, maybe it's time that you start really reaching out and getting your story out there because I'm pretty sure you can work through this, but you, you need to get your voice out there. Okay. And because up until up, that point, you must have just felt totally paralyzed, helpless. Well, what I was doing, and, and it was almost, it was kind of like a joke because I, I became like the pun of all of my friends' stories. I was like vlogging my whole like journey. Like, I'm like, yo, this is the life of a dead man. How am I dead? But I'm over here doing this. And how am I dead? But I'm over here doing, yeah. <laughs> and I started vlogging. It wasn't as serious as I didn't make it as serious as it really was. You know, I left out a lot. I ended up on national news and it kind of took off. Is that on YouTube? I'll have to look into that. It's on uh, Pix11 News. You can literally type in my name and I'll, and I'll pop up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that happened. And then, and, and I say this every time that I interview with, with anybody, person who called me, I appreciate you. If you ever come around, I owe you a beer. Anyway, I ended up getting the weirdest call of my whole life. And he was like, don't ask who I am. I'm not going to give you that information. Don't ask where I work for. I'm not going to give you that information. I am going to tell you this. And he gave me specific steps to guide me to the point that now things started changing. Things started getting fixed. And uh, he broke it down to me, you know, law enforcement style. Why he was do you like, think he wanted to remain anonymous? I don't know. I have no clue. And I don't care. I was just like, somebody help me. Somebody. And I almost became like a conspiracy theory case because people are like, bullshit. And I'm like, no, this is a real thing. <laughs> and uh, so this person reached out to me and was like, if this was to happen, what is this? And he was like, think as a law enforcement officer, if this was to happen, what is this? I'm like, oh, well, that's that. He's like, all right. And if this was to happen, what is this? Well, that's that. This is what you're going through. This is what you're doing. These are the steps that you got to take in order to start moving along and start getting the attention that you need because your, your little complaining isn't getting anywhere. You need to take drastic steps in order to make it happen. All right. You don't have to thank me. You're never going to hear from me again. What the hell? And I wrote everything down. I think I still have the paper upstairs. And I wrote it all down. And then he hung up. And I was just looking at the paper. And I'm like, am I crazy? Well, I've looked everywhere else. You know, I've Googled every crap of anything. 
this guy is literally giving me the information that I need, but is he really, you know? And I started going back and forth. Let me give it a shot. So now I started filing uh, legal actions towards every single agency that messed up, you know, whatever I had going on. All of the stuff was online. They had their own templates and all this other stuff. Now I'm filing for the most craziest things that you can possibly file for in order to get my case looked at. Now that my case is getting looked at, everything was being taken care of. It wasn't like it was immediately, but it took maybe two years for the whole process. Yeah, two years. And you still have no idea how it all transpired in the first place. I tried to look into it at one point. I really didn't care because I just, I wanted to get everything cleared up. But I did look into it at one point. And what I was told was during that time frame, there was a transition with the VA. There was a lot of glitches within the system. And they were like, we caught the majority of anything that was getting lost. But I was that point zero 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 whatever percentage that went all the way through. While I was going through this, you know, and I was doing my vlogging, I was also journaling. And whatever I did not put in my vlogs that would show a high or a low randomly, I would journal. Once I was done, once everything was complete, my vlogs turned into like a documentary series. It went viral. This is great. This is great. And then I started getting messages. Why don't you write a book about this? No, like this will be a crazy story. You should write a book about this. People, the vets will love it. No, and then I'm, I'm sitting on my journal. I've never written a book before. Let me give it a go. I mean, outside of work, I'm balancing work and school, but I was like, yeah, I'm in my MBA program. This would be a great way to venture into business, I guess. So let me play with the idea. I wrote the book. It took me a bit to write the book because like I said, I've never written a book. I think I've thrown away so many bits and pieces that I was like, this sucks. It took me a bit to actually piece everything together. And then I had a book. Holy crap. It took me about, I want to say like a, a solid day to get it submitted for publishing, for full publishing. And that was because I'm sitting here. Okay, so now the world is really going to see what this really about. Now they're going to see what I went through. And that was hard because until that point, I let the world see what, uh, what I wanted them to see. And now I'm faced with this decision to open up completely. You know, I took a breath and the only way that anything was to ever get done and to getting success, to get this story moved along, to help the next individual that's going through it was to make sure that this story was published. So I published the book. And now you're making into a movie, correct? Yeah. So the book ended up blowing up. And then I get the next bunch of messages. How isn't this a movie? How isn't this a movie? So then I ended up writing the script. And then it got picked up for film. That is crazy. How exciting is that? And that wasn't the last book you wrote. No. Once I got the taste of it, once I, uh, I knew what I was doing, once I figured it all out, then it became easier for me to, uh, to write and to put down my ideas. And my voice was being heard and my voice was louder. 
my books, they started popping out left and right. And um, right now I'm working on my 11th book. 11? Yeah. All right. If we want to start down Carmelo's library (laughs) of literature, which book do you recommend we start with? Obviously with Dead Soldier. Okay. The way that I would do it, because I wrote these three specific books based off of... I'm a reader, Carmelo. Yes. I wrote these three specific books based off of my very first book. First one would be The Dead Soldier. And then I would go to my third book, which is uh, The Race Against the Alarm Clock. And that is a motivational feel based off of everything that I've learned throughout my journeys, including The Dead Soldier and, and overcoming all of the tribulations I, I went through with that. That's a motivational feel or a spiel. And then I would go into my sixth book, which is Just Write the Book. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah. So the reason I put it in that specific order is in between, I wanted to write a little something for kids or I wanted to jump into different genres to see what I like, what I, what I fit best in. But these three specific books go hand in hand with one another because it goes from the story to now I'm giving you the lessons that I've learned and and motivating you like you can do it if I can do it if I can come from this if I can go through this journey you can too where can we find these books Amazon Barnes and Nobles at this point the way that the chatter is online you can literally just google me (laughs) how do I get an autograph book once I order one mail it to me Mail it to me and I'll, I'll sign it for you and, and send it back. Awesome. I'm working on No Sleep right now. Since I got picked up for that film, I ended up getting picked up for three more. What? Yeah. Yeah. For different movies. Like as an actor? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> How is that? That's bizarre. It's amazing. I knew Carmelo Wynn, right? Yeah. A lot of my buddies are saying the same thing. (laughs) Well, I know that you are really busy because we've had to schedule this a few times. You are slammed. I will conclude this interview with this question, which is, what does America mean to you? It's home. uh, I mean, like, if I can sum it down into a few words, it's, it's home. You know, for me, I've learned so much. I mean, like, this is, I guess that's one of the reasons why so many immigrants are trying so hard to to cross the border, come over, do whatever they got to do, because I started from nothing, literally nothing. And look at me today. It's so bizarre. And based off of how much, how much work you're willing to put in and what you want to do with yourself, you can do anything. You literally can do anything. And... You know, this is my home. This is my country. You know, I'm a countryman and this will forever be. God forbid there's something else that kicks off. Hey, I'm in line. Let's go. And that's just it. Thank you for sharing your American story with us, Carmelo. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Carmelo took a life of very little and turned it into a life of purpose and service. I can't end this episode without thanking Carmelo for the several minutes he dedicated to speaking about mental health. Too many of our troops come home from action, scarred on the outside and inside. Our warriors deserve 
the best care as they are reintroduced to normal life. You can find Carmelo on Facebook, on paper, and the big screen. Pick up one of Carmelo's 11 books on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble. Carmelo's book, Dead Soldier, is in production for the screen. Rate and review this podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Help me spread the word about these stupendous people and their American stories. Next week, my guest is Jeffrey. Jeffrey is a double amputee warrior with a wild sense of humor. He will definitely have you rolling. Until next Friday, see you then.